Recovery is stupendous. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Welcome to Montana's Peer Network Recovery Talks Podcast. I'm Jim Haney. And I'm Andy Daniel. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Today, Andy and I are going to be talking about advocacy. Yeah, you know, we've got a legislative session coming up, but we just want to talk about advocacy in general and and what that means and um, how we can affect change in the recovery movement. Exactly. Yeah, our timing, you know, we had thought about this and uh, boy, this would be great for December because come January 4th in Montana, we have our legislative session. And we'll talk a little bit about that a little further in the in the podcast, but I guess just to start it out, you know, advocacy and what does that mean in the recovery movement? And I think that when I hear the word advocacy, the very next thing that I think about is change. It's like the very next kind of word that sort of pops in my head, change. And and I guess my frame it comes from how can we improve it? How can we improve things? How can we evolve? We learn new things. We're in a COVID time. We've gone virtual. It's different. It's changing. It's ever-changing, whether you're in COVID or not, right? Like, how do we advocate for change within the system? I think that's sort of my initial thoughts. What what about you? What are some of your initial thoughts? I... I think of it as sort of an empowering kind of thing that if if you don't like the way things are, there are things you can do to change those things. You know, if, if you don't like the services that you've received or or the way something functions, you can work to change that. It might take a while. Right. A lot of times this doesn't happen immediately. Um but it's really empowering to know that you can affect services or the system to help other people not have a negative experience if that's what you had. Right, right. No, it makes, that makes perfect sense. And I think in doing that, in creating these change, you know, a better experience, right? It's not just better for the next person, it's better for, the next hundred people or thousand people, like it's like the the ripple effect is enormous because it continues on when you change something for the better. You know, I think about the work that Montana's Peer Network, you know, did around peer support and specifically about things like uh, funding. Mm -hmm. So, so somebody was just, was just telling me about, they were talking to peer supporters in another state where they have certification, they have Medicaid, but, but they only reimburse like $2 every 15 minutes or something. And and, yeah. And ours is like $15. Like they were like, what? Like $2, like 15, like what? Like, no, like, 
right? Like, no, you mean an hour, $15 for an hour. No, 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 every 15 minutes, right? And these are the kinds of things, right? And this type of change that didn't exist before, I guess is where I'm kind of going with this is that didn't exist. The funding wasn't available. And if that funding's not available, then service providers don't hire the peer supporters because they can't pay for them. Yep. The individual peer supporter doesn't have the job, right? I mean, there's this whole sort of sequence of things then that happen. And of course, on the uh, going the other direction, there's clients who receive the services. And because you have these peer supporters in there with these lived experiences, they they impact the the treatment people receive, the services, hopefully in a positive way by understanding, hey, there's someone else who's gone through this. But it, there's like this whole little chain that kind of happens. And that kind of change is exciting and it's long lasting. The impact is enormous. It's not just this year. It, it's next year and the year after and the, you know, until someone else changes it, until someone gets tired of the way you do it and then they speak up and change it one more time, you know. And I feel like they, they build and it becomes easier. Each successive change becomes a little bit easier. I mean, if you look at like certification, right, it took several sessions mm -hmm. of the legislature before certification happened before right. that got passed but then there wasn't that much time between that and medicaid reimbursement right? right it's not like you had to wait another six years or whatever for that to happen once you get that ball rolling yeah and people can see that it's beneficial or you know things have changed for the better then it makes successive changes easier agreed agreed yeah yeah i, I think another important part of advocacy that that you 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 have to think about and the impact is personally having a, vo a voice finding your voice when you're early in recovery most of us our self-esteem is pretty low we don't feel like we have anything meaningful to contribute we might not be that well connected to our communities or even society i mean you might even be disconnected from society and you know and so um, getting involved with things like in Montana, the local advisory councils, but there's other groups too. I mean, there's other, there's like in, here in Livingston, there's like Live Well 49. You know, these are other sort of wellness groups that are doing really good work and finding a voice and, and, and recognizing your lived experience, mental health, substance use, trauma, whatever it may be has a place at the table, you know, your voice has a place and that um, when you can begin to, to speak up and learn to use that voice, it's, it's super empowering, like you said, but it's, it's just the awareness that there's a place for you at the table that's important. We need to hear that voice and it can't be overshadowed by, you know, the system sort of people, providers, law enforcement, you know, commissioners, that kind of thing, to actually be able to say, well, I don't know, I use the services and this was my experience. Have people listen and think about what you're sharing and have that begin to impact. I think in a person's recovery, when you find that voice, it really, it's like a leap forward. You, you make this big stride. 
And then you get all those wonderful things because you feel better about yourself. Your self-esteem goes up and, you know, yeah. Yeah. And it can be really intimidating to start that process, I think. Um, for instance, joining a local advisory council, right? Um, it actually took me a lot of thought and um, I sort of had to work up to, yeah, I should go to that meeting. I, I actually felt like I needed to find somebody to go to the meeting with me so that I wasn't quite as uncomfortable. Um, and so, you know, I started that way and in two months was the chair. So uh, things moved really, really fast. Um, but I, I think that, you know, we, we started this peer advocacy and leadership project. And part of that is to help people get over that feeling of intimidation or being uncomfortable mm -hmm. uh, in that role and really to focus on how the voice of people in recovery is so important in these different groups that are often full of providers or you know professionals that kind of thing mm -hmm. who just don't really have the same grasp that right uh, we do as people in recovery. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I mentioned this in the beginning, we're in COVID times and just think about how services have changed just in the last nine months everywhere. I mean, you're not, you're not, you're not driving up to your counselor's office and going upstairs and sitting in the waiting room till the person before you is done. And then you're going in next and right. And you're probably not going to that many support group meetings. And I mean, it's completely changed. And so, you know, I, I think about, okay, what about this conversation? Like this is the next level of conversation to begin having. So how do we provide these services, counseling services, as an example, peer support services in a COVID world? Is it Zoom, whatever, you know, Google, whatever, like whatever Teams or whatever your thing is, um, or is it on the phone? Are we texting people? And can the system, you know, change and, and make that change? And I think, you know, I think I see some some parts of the system are and some aren't. And some are having having trouble making that shift. What I find interesting, though, is that a lot of times you'll have the system or provider say, no, we can't do that. And COVID is a terrible thing and is incredibly disruptive, but it has also pushed those things to happen, right? Yes. Telehealth has ebbed and flowed depending on where you are and stuff. And this really pushed it as... Yes we have to do something. You can't just leave people with nothing. And so sometimes it takes that massive outside force to push something in the right direction. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Pre-COVID, the, the big question, I, I know like uh, SAMHSA would ask this all the time. So how do you deliver peer services in frontier Montana, you know, a third of our state is like frontier, right? Like it's yeah. like there aren't any people. How do you do that? You don't have counselor offices on every corner and, you know, right? You're making a really good point there. 
you know, now that we're all much more familiar with video meetings, groups, can we hold on to this after COVID and provide services to those very rural and frontier communities where there aren't a lot of people, people are very spread out because that's been an issue, you know, right? We hear this all the time, farmers and ranchers, suicide rates are higher, rates of depression, alcoholism, those kinds of things. We've been saying this as advocates for a while, technology, technology, but you're right. It's sort of telemedicine is sort of ebbed and flowed. Some places did it and figured out how to do it well. Other places tried it and it didn't work so well. And now we're seeing how simplistic it is. I mean, we're having these meetings. My gosh, I don't know how many times a week I'm on a virtual meeting with video and with lots of people. I mean, some of, I mean, there are days where I'm on easily five meetings in one day. So let's say I average three a day, you know, five days a week. I mean, it's right. And so maybe that's one of the changes. And I think then, um, that can lead you into advocating mm -hmm. to continue these services even after mm -hmm. COVID has settled down, right? And maybe we don't absolutely need to do um, counseling over Zoom forever for right. everybody. Right. But now we've got some evidence that says we can be effective mm -hmm. over video or over the phone or whatever. Right. And I think that really makes it easier for peer supporters in smaller communities because you know there might not be enough you might not have enough peers in like glasgow to be a full-time peer supporter but right. maybe right. in you know the northeast corner of montana right. you can and so right. um, i think it really opens it up and and gives you the opportunity to say hey we did this for a year and it worked two years plus two years <laughs> who knows <laughs> we can keep doing this right yeah yes exactly exactly yeah and and those are the kinds of things that someone might choose to be an advocate for i mean you could be an advocate for anything i mean we focus specifically here on recovery and peer support you know behavioral health issues and, and that kind of leads us into, you know, in about a month from now, January 4th, we're going to go into the 2021 legislative session in Montana. And this is a great place to uh, get some experience being an advocate. Now, we don't know what sort of precautions are going to be in place with COVID. So going in a, like the way a normal session sort of operates, talking about that, you know, there's, there's hearings, there's committee hearings, you know, and, you know, people can go and they can advocate for something, you could be against something, or you can be informational, where you just provide kind of information about a particular topic. Or, like for us, our lived experience. And so there's hearings, these hearings you can go to, these committee hearings, and they're all online. And in fact, you can, they make it really easy. You can actually sign up for which committees uh, you want to know about 
and you can not only watch them from home, listen to them if you prefer, but they have the email addresses of the legislators on that committee. You can send an email to the entire committee. There's a book like a index, a directory. There's their phone numbers. There's their personal emails. And of course, you can always go in person and testify at one of these committees. And the website um, for the upcoming session is leg.mt dot gov backslash session if you you can also just google 2021 montana legislative session it comes right up they've actually got a counter that's counting down the days and and it's already up you know they've got <clears throat> all these nice tabs at the top and then once you find a bill that you want to advocate for you can just use the little drop down menu you can look it up and you can always see the status of it, like where it is in committee. It's very user-friendly, I think, this site. You're familiar with this site, Andy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've used it a lot to, to track the things that I'm interested in, not, mm -hmm. not just in the recovery movement, but um, for other things that mm -hmm. affect me or, or my local area. Mm -hmm. um, and I know during the last session, our the legislators from my area had weekly like video calls anyway mm -hmm. where you mm -hmm. could go to the courthouse mm -hmm. and they had a it set up so that you could talk to your legislators they could give you an update i imagine that's going to look different this year um sure. i would guess that it's going to be more like you can do it from home right they'll they'll just get on a zoom or whatever and you'll just yeah. do it from home instead of having to go to the courthouse. But I don't think people knew that that existed, right? I I had a personal connection to a legislator. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I found out most of my information is because, mm -hmm. you know, I personally knew this person pretty well. The other thing that is really cool this year on the, the legislature's website is that they have, they've been training the new legislators mm -hmm. through video conference and they've recorded all of them. So you can actually go in and watch the training sessions and watch a mock session oh, wow. and that kind of thing. And so I feel yeah. like, I mean, that's a wonderful opportunity to actually see what it looks like before you go and right. testify, right? Like right. most of us don't have any idea what that looks right. like when you go testify. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's it's intimidating. I, I can remember 2009, was the first year that I got involved with advocacy at, at that level. Um, and I say that level, cause it really is a whole nother level. I mean, it's, you know, your, your, your legislators are dressed in business attire and the expectation is, you know, like you should look presentable and nice and, you know, it's all very orderly. And yeah, I remember the first, uh, I don't think I'll ever forget. I mean, the first, hearing that I went to, I mean, you got to get up, you know, I, I live far away, like you, we live far away from Helena. So if you're going to make a nine o'clock hearing, I mean, you got to get up at like four in the morning and, you know, so anyway, you know, I remember getting there and the line to testify was through the room, out the door, into the hall. And I think, I think the first hearing 
I think there were more than 70 people testifying. And I just remember, you know, you sign up on this clipboard and it asks you, you know, your name and your address and for against informational, which one you check the boxes. But I mean, it was long. It was like an hour and a half of like waiting and you're listening to the testimony. And then somebody sort of says something like, oh, that's what I was going to say, you know, like, <laughs> and you're at the state Capitol, which that's a whole nother thing. You know, the state Capitol is a beautiful building. And so anyway, it just, um, I remember the longer I sat there, the more nervous I got, you know, because you're just listening to these people and, and, you know, and, and, you know, there's some big people who go up there and testify and, you know, and, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, it was just, and then, and then I'll fast forward to 2017 when we brought the bill for certification, you know, that wasn't our first rodeo. Anyway, and we're sitting there and I'm sitting in, you know, I think I was in the second row. So they, okay, we're going to start testimony, you know, for, and I sort of like looked around and everyone was looking at me, wanting me to go first. <laughs> and, and that was like a whole different level of intimidation. There was no one to warm up the committee. And I thought, why well, everybody's looking at me? And they're like, you know, <laughs> I think it was Joel was sitting next to me and he starts, you know, elbowing me, you know, they're waiting for you. <laughs> like, you know, and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm the first person, uh, not 70th, you know? And so how things change and the more times you do it and you get more comfortable and um, even just getting around the Capitol, you know, where the rooms are, it's, it's, there's so many rooms and there's different levels and, mm -hmm. Anyway, the more times, you know, I've done it, the more comfortable I get, but I still get super nervous. Um, and, uh, but yeah, you know, you just, you kind of go up there and just speak from the heart and say <clears throat> kind of what you mean and, and then hope they don't ask you questions later. You know, cause sometimes they do that afterwards. They're like, where's that guy who went first? Bring him back up here. We're gonna ask him some questions, you know? <laughs> and then you're really on the spot and there's cameras and microphones and, you know, but it's a neat experience. It really is. And for a person in recovery, you know, to be able to go and share your, your, your views, your voice, your life experience, provide education to people. <clears throat> I really do encourage folks to, to, to take, a, take a look, find something. And like you said, maybe it's not even about recovery. Maybe it's something else in your area that you're interested in, but follow it um, and go and get involved. And, and in a state like Montana, you know, I'm a, I'm a transplant, right? I mean, I've been here 20 years now, but I didn't grow up here. I mean, I, I grew up in Chicago. I couldn't do that in Chicago. That's not accessible to you. And it's not accessible, not because they don't have testimony. It's because there's a hundred thousand people in the 70 yeah. line, you know, right? So it's yeah. not accessible here. It's accessible. You can talk to your legislators. You can you know what I mean? Like in the hallways and you can email them and they respond. And, and it's really, it's, uh, you know, American democracy in action. And, you know, you have a place at the table. And I, I feel like in places like Montana, your legislators are much more involved in your communities, right? Because this is not their job. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a few months every two years. So yeah. they have to be more connected to the communities than some of the larger uh, I agree. cities. Yeah, 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 I agree. I, I, I totally agree. 
I remember, uh, <clears throat> so going way back, I might've been the, might've been 09, might've been my first session or my second session. I can't remember, but I remember being introduced on the Senate floor. <laughs> that gave me goosebumps. That, that gave me goosebumps. I mean, they, they like, you know, you stand up and they introduce you and then the whole Senate like stands up and gives you like a, you know, round of applause kind of thing. And the speaker says, you know, welcome to the Senate, you know, or welcome to the house. And, and I mean, it, it, it gives you goosebumps. I mean, you're like, whoa, like, you know, it, it's, it's a neat experience. And your legislator will do that. You just talk to him, tell him, you know, you're coming. Now, again, I don't know what's going to happen in COVID, you know, COVID year. I don't know if they're going to do all that stuff or we don't know if there's going to be yeah. public testimony the same. I mean, I don't know. They can't put all these people in a room. So we'll have to see what the rules are going to be. But nonetheless, you can always email, you can always call, and you can always just listen in. I mean, you can watch, there's video cameras, you can watch the committee, you can watch the testimony, you can listen to it. And even that's important, you know, and find a couple other peers and go together and go to your state capitol. You know, you got a three month window coming up here. And then MPN will try to keep you up to date with, you know, the relevant recovery oriented bills that you might want to follow the sort of the happenings. And if you're members, you know, we need you, we need you to speak up, you know, there's uh, funding and policies and all kinds of things that are on the table. So uh, think about being an advocate and also consider our PAL, you know, project, the Peer Advocacy and Leadership Project. Andy talked about this. We have a bunch of trainings, can help you navigate this, learn some skills, because we need all the peer leaders we can get. Yeah, it's a series of six uh, trainings we've talked about on another podcast before, but we're actually going to do all six of them in January and February. So you can get all six of those out of the way in the first two months of yep. next year. Other than that, we rotate one or two a month mm -hmm. usually, but we're going to try to get as many in in January and February as we can. Yeah. So check it out. Go to our website, mtpeernetwork.org. It's called the PAL Project, P-A-L, Peer Advocacy and Leadership Training. Has all the trainings. You can register right there. Andy does a great job setting it up. It's very user-friendly. Um, and then you'll hear one of our voices, you know, you'll get on one of the trainings and, uh, you know, it'll be one of us on there and they're always really good. We have good conversation and everybody learns a lot and shares their experiences and, uh, just get you some skills and some education and background to be a good advocate. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that about wraps up our advocacy podcasts, uh, listeners, we, we thank you so much for tuning in. And if you would like to be a guest, if you have a topic you want us to talk about, you can email us. Uh, my email is jim at mtpeernetwork.org. And mine is andy, A-N-D-I, at mtpeernetwork.org. And let us know if you want to hear something and keep uh, tuning in to Recovery Talks. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works, recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. <laughs> recovery works and recovery is possible.
Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible.